Shabbat Shalom. I'm reading from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the Kohen scribe, and the Levites who were teaching the people said to all the people, Today is Kadosh to Adonai your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping when they heard the words of the Torah. So he said to them, Go, eat choice food, drink sweet drinks, and send portions to those who have nothing ready. For today is Kadosh to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of Adonai is your strength. Then the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Hush, for today is Kadosh. Do not grieve. So all the people departed to eat and drink and to send portions and to celebrate with great joy because they came to understand the words that were explained to them. Thank you, Linda. So we're going to continue in the book of Nehemiah um, here for a little bit um, today. And before I really get into kind of the, some of the details I wanted to look at in this chapter, uh, really chapter 8, the whole chapter is what we're going to look at. I wanted just to draw your attention to something that you may or may not be aware of, just kind of like an FYI type of thing. Maybe this is your first time, or, or coming to Shuatzion might have even been your first time ever to see that thing that took place over there with the Torah and the box and reading it and standing up and, you know, saying this blessing before the reading of Scripture, you know, bless the Lord who is blessed, blessed be the Lord, blessed forever, amen, all this kind of stuff. And that's just tradition and so forth. Yeah, the question is, where does that come from? And uh, if you look in chapter 8 here, really, this is, um, seems like a lot, a lot of people uh, feel, you know, feel that this is evidence. There's evidence in the Bible, like in the book of Daniel, Daniel praying three times a day, facing the east, and so forth, where a lot of these things come from. We don't do these things arbitrarily, necessarily, but we see a pattern um, which really looks a lot like the modern-day Torah service here in Nehemiah, uh, chapter 8. So you may or may not have been familiar with it. But if you back up towards the uh, beginning of the chapter, actually, um, starting in verse 5, right before that, the people said, hey, we want to read the word of God. And they went and got Ezra the priest, and he comes, and then he stands on an elevated platform. Um, and if you've ever been to an Orthodox synagogue, uh, there's actually kind of like, you know, where, where Greg and this gentleman here are, there's like a platform kind of in the middle, and that's where the, the Torah is read from. Uh, in conservative, reformed synagogues, you'll, you'll see it in the front, kind of up on, up on an elevated stage. Um, but there is a platform in Orthodox, orthodoxy, and not all of them, but I, I've seen them. Um, and so you get that picture here in Nehemiah. And then before he reads the word, uh, he opened the book, it says, the people stood up. Okay, that happens in synagogues as well. In fact, in some places, uh, during the entire reading of the Torah portion, everybody's standing. We see it here that everyone stood up. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen. So we kind of just see this, this picture again. Is it, you know, there's all kinds of questions about when these things were developed, when was the formal, lit, formal liturgy put in place, um, and all of this, and things have developed from there. But just, again, just a little bit piece of, I think it's interesting if you've never noticed that before, that we have a picture of, of kind of the modern-day um, synagogue worship service here in the book of Nehemiah. So if you, if you weren't here last week, we're kind of on the tail end. I'm not sure exactly what Rabbi Chaim is going to speak about uh, next week, um, but in a way we're, we're going to sort of maybe move into a, a different area. We've been talking about uh, our building, 
and the fact that we believe God is really call, calling us now and that the timing is such that we are to uh, have our own building. We seem to be in, our, in a place where we, we, you know, we're blessed to meet here, but uh, we know we need, to, we need to have a little more space and a little more opportunity uh, for ministry and so forth. And that's what we've been preaching about. We've been preaching about some of the financial pieces of it. And last week I preached, if, if you recall, from the beginning of Nehemiah, we, we looked at this uh, kind of the way that Nehemiah went about this huge task that was in front of him of, of rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem and how he really didn't even know what his part was going to be up front when he heard about the horrible conditions uh, that his brother came and told him, the horrible conditions in Judah and the, the kind of the way they were um, persona non grata in that area and the, the walls of the city were broken down. And so we saw where Nehemiah prayed, and we looked at the different aspects um, of, of that prayer and how he spent time in prayer, probably about four months praying, not really knowing what, what was going to happen. And then when the timing was right, and it really wasn't even the timing he was necessarily, necessarily looking for, but that his opportunity to say something to the king uh, took place, and how it was, uh, it was timing, because prior to that, um, the same king had instituted a policy this is uh, um, Arctic Xerxes, um, had instituted a policy to stop building the walls in Jerusalem. And that's, you know, that idea, and, and then so it was really, the idea was it was going to be a reversal of policy. It was, so it was pretty tremendous that it even happened. And now we didn't look at it last week, but what we do see that ends up taking place is that the walls get rebuilt. And it's amidst a lot of opposition, opposition from uh, without, sort of outside of the people who were building, um, but also there was opposition from inside, you know, griping and th- this problem and that problem and we can't do it because we got to go take care of our farms and whatever it might be. So there was a lot of opposition, um, and, but we see that the job did get done. And so the physical walls were rebuilt. And people will say, well, yeah, there's, the, there's kind of a compartmentalization going on there where God was taking, you know, that, 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 that now God's ready to move on to the spiritual stuff that we read about here in chapter 9 when the Word of God was brought out. Because before that now, there was just the walls, and that was the physical the physical part. And now he's moving on to the spiritual stuff. And I want to tell, draw your attention to the fact that, no, that's not the case, that God does not work that way, that he's involved in all the aspects of this. And if you look in, in, in chapter 6, actually, in verse uh, 15, very cool verse there that I think really paints this picture that, no, there's not you know, the physical, and now we're getting into the spiritual, and we should draw a line kind of thing. In chapter 6, after all of this building process, the text tells us there that the wall was finished, and it says on the 25th day of the month of Elul, and when you do the math and you look at it, of course, it tells you right here anyways, that it was 52 days that this tremendous task got done. And that in itself should be like, oh yeah, God was definitely involved in that. But when you read uh, verse uh, 16, it says, When all our enemies heard of it, the fact that this, this thing got done, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. This is, uh, so it says, For they perceived this work had been accomplished. And even my translation says, With the help of the Lord. But let me tell you, that's not, that's not there in the text. It doesn't say that. <laughs> It doesn't say with the help of the Lord. It says because the Lord did it. Actually, it says because it was built by uh, the Lord. That was this work was done by Him. Um, it very, it's very clear. So that's sort of an interpretation. Um, putting that word "help" in there, it says literally that people around them felt very small, and the idea of feeling small is that they said they they actually fell 
greatly in their own eyes. You know, that's kind of how we tend to, when we don't, when we feel inferior, it's really, you know, we're looking at ourselves. They fell greatly in their own eyes. And for this reason, it's because they knew that our God did the work. So don't assume that there are, you know, there are spiritual parts of your life and then non-spiritual parts. Um, and it's not so much that, you know, it's just that God gets to be a part of all areas of your life. That's kind of neat, I, th- I think. Uh, and also, I like that picture there that when something great happens, that, and I think that's what I would, I would say we, I would want for this community, I hope we, you would agree, is that when something great happens, and whether it's us being in our building a month from now, a year from now, whatever God has, whatever that timing is, is that no matter how it happens, it's not going to be because we preached great messages on giving or we really cleared people's thoughts up about how they need to serve and we, we kind of guilted them into it the right way or whatever you know, kind of silliness that, that probably goes on. Um, no, we want it to be like, like, like it says here, not that people are going to be afraid, but people are going to recognize for sure that God did this work. Amen. Whatever it is, whether it's the building of that thing, whether it's, where's Katrina? Is Katrina in here? Maybe she's outside. Katrina told a story, you know, she, she missed being in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the line of fire, gunfire in her neighborhood by like a fraction this, this, this past, uh, this Friday, yesterday morning, you know, and she, there was gun, gunfire on the street, and she's like, I really, normally I'm walking on that street, but I wasn't, and I went to the gym that morning, and actually I was late getting back from the gym, or else my car would have been in the line of fire. Like all these kind of things. The point is we want whatever happens, whether it's something like that, or whether it's something like uh, us uh, sitting in our own building a month, a year, or whatever from now, um, that it's going to be clearly, you know what, God did this. So I think that's what we need, to, we need to pray for and realize that it's not just we're getting the physical pieces together, we're going to get this done, that all of it's under God's control. So as we look at chapter 8, and this is, again, the big picture of Nehemiah is that he did re- that the walls were rebuilt under his leadership and then it then became the institution of some spiritual and social reforms, and this is part of it. And really, it's just the next part of it. It's phase two of what God was doing. So I want to look at three kind of phases or three responses to this spiritual um, renewal, if you will. And really what it is, it's sort of just reading the Bible is what it is. It's getting the Word of God into you. And look at the three kind of responses or three reactions that come about, came about, can come about by way of God's Word in our lives. And those three things are, uh, number one, are, are, is an intellectual response. Intellectual response. Number two is uh, emotional. Okay? Intellectually emotional. And then number three is volitional. Okay? Now... That just means action, but you may have recognized that action does not rhyme with emotional or intellectual, but volitional does. So volitional is, is the third piece, emotional, intellectual, and volitional, which means just action, the act of doing something. So let's start with intellectual f- first. Now, when you hear that word, maybe you think, well, I'm not uh, an intellectual or a scholar in fact, I kind of think I found that out about myself, even though I went through the master's program at Denver Seminary and kind of got involved with that kind of stuff. At my core, I don't think I'm really a, an intellectual or a scholar. And that's not what this is talking about. Whether you see yourself that way or not is not the point. Intellectual really just means that at some level, all of us want to learn something. I think that's true of every one of us. At some level, all of us want to learn stuff. And that's intellectual. That's intellectual. So... We're going to back up. Let's back up to the beginning of chapter 8, verses uh, 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3, okay? 
chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. It says, All the people gathered together into the square. This is, again, after the, the walls were built, really just about a day, a day or two afterwards. I mean, this is like rapid fire. Um, it says the people were dwelling right there, in, right before that. Uh, it says, actually, it says right here, they're settled. The people being settled, it says that they gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra, really the priest, it says the priest Ezra, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the, the, uh, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. And uh, that's a long day. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all people were attentive to the book of the law. And then skipping forward to verse 8 of that same chapter, right before what was read today, it says, So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Okay? This, this image here, this imagery at the beginning of chapter 8, I think is, just, is a big picture of um, intellectual pursuit. Okay? That's where it's starting. It's, a, it's part of the spiritual revival that's going on, God's plan of, of building and regathering. But I want us to see here that it does start with some knowledge, some intellectual knowledge. Okay? Utilizing one's mind to grasp information. And in this case, that information is the Word of God, His instructions, His standards, uh, and His wisdom. So a few things I want to point out or want us to pull out from, from these verses or, or note here. A uh, first thing is the centrality of God's Word, the fact that the Word of God was central. It was in the midst of the community, and the people were, were focused on it. Okay? They were all together in one place and learning. Now, I say that because I think it's important, <laughs> and I think it's, it's in the Word, that it's clearly, it says that, that it was in the center, and everyone, everyone was focused on it, is, uh, you know, can we learn on our own? Do we learn on our own? Um, can we go and watch YouTube videos and look at other preachers? And I hear people often will come here and they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I watch a, a, you know, a live stream from this congregation out, and, and they mention someplace, you know, on the East Coast, they do it before they come here and all this kind of stuff. So can we... Can we get information from other places, from, from, from these different sources? And the answer is, of course. I, I don't see a problem with that. But I do want us to, to not lose sight of the fact that being a community uh, of faith, being part of a community of faith where the Word of God is central, okay, is modeled for us here in Scripture, and it's important. And you might think, well, I'm here. What are you telling me that for? I'm, I don't know. I'm just telling you. This is, this is what's going on in the passage. This is, none of this is pointing fingers at anybody. But again, in our, the age we live in, I, I do think there's a lot of us, you know, searching and seeking for stuff here and there. On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, there is something to the model of the Word of God being central as part of a, a community of faith. It's fine to learn from multiple sources, um, but we need to have a solid base, a solid home base, a place where you can uh, witness examples of other people, Okay. See what, what, what God's doing in and through other people, people that you know and care about. I know sometimes you'll, you'll see a, somebody gets healed on TV, and you think you immediately, I think, you know, oh, that's, that's a fake, that's a plant or whatever. But, you know, if Charlie grows hair, I know it's a miracle because I knew him, and I know what the situation is. You know what I mean? So it's important that these are people. Me too. You know, I understand. Uh, these are people that, uh, that you know. It's important. It's a place where... where um, not only you know people, they know you, they care about you, a place where you can be accountable, okay, a place 
where there are people who are part of your life and you're part of their life and they can spur you on to good deeds, right? People that are there to help you. Now, YouTube, uh, being an itinerant believer, you know, going from congregation to congregation or whatever, whatever uh, that doesn't do that kind of thing for you. That's the kind of piece you miss uh, if, if, if that's the kind of life that, that somebody's living as a believer. And again, that's not meant to be an accusation or an, an indictment against anybody. It's just a fact that we can only be split and divided in so many ways, you know, before we become ineffective or before, you know, our, our returns are what they call de minimis, you know, before you're splitting in all these different ways where you end up suffering and others, quite frankly, suffer as well when that's the way we live. So being part of a community of faith where the word of God is central is something that I think is pointed to us, pointed out to us in these verses. Something else that we notice in these passages that I think is kind of cool is that the word of God is for everyone. The word of God is for everyone. You see twice here the audience that's being read to. It says, men, women, and all people who had ears towards the Torah is what it literally says. Now, a lot of your uh, translations might actually even say it was men, women, and children. You know, that's an interpretation. The word children's not in there in this section, just so you know. But the idea, the understanding, I think it's a fair interpretation to say that the word of God is for everyone, for everyone who has an ear towards or ear to the Torah. Uh, so the word of God's for everyone. So on an intellectual level, in a communal setting, the word of God needs to be central. And the word of God is for everyone. And we need to take in the word of God. We need to eat the word of God, if you will, uh, in a very active and focused way. I think Joanne was talking about some of that today. Something that was said today during service made me think of that, uh, that I had planned on saying, but I thought that was very, very important, that we're engaged in a very active and focused way. Here, uh, the people were the ones that actually proactively kind of, it says they told, and that's what it says. They told Ezra, come here, read the word, read the word. Now, could they not read? Did they not know Hebrew? That's all you know, up for debate. Did they, you know, what, what was that not the language or whatever? But the bottom line was that they actively and proactively said, bring the word out, we want to hear it. And then they engaged with it for what I would say is a bunch of time, a bunch of time. Um, half the day, the first day is what it says here. Uh, that was in verse 3. They got into it again on the second day. Um, then they read it for seven days straight because they observed the, the Feast of Shavuot. Um, I'm sorry, Sukkot. I'm sorry, not Shavuot. Sukkot, Tabernacles, and then, and then the next month. You look in the next chapter. It says the 24th day of the next month, verse uh, chapter nine, verse three tells us that they that they read the day for two, 25 uh, percent of the day periods, two fourth of the day periods. Count that as six hours. Two six hour periods on the same day, uh, they read the word. Now, can all of us make that type of? Uh, time commitment to reading or, or listening to podcast or whatever it is to the Word of God, you can. That's wonderful. I don't know if all of us can commit, you know, from morning till midday for days on end and then for a fourth of the day. I do know some people that stay, in, stay up in prayer all night and do that kind of thing, but for the, for, for the majority, I would say, of us, that type of time commitment is, as Chaim, Rabbi Chaim would say, is a stretch. I mean, it's a stretch, you know, four hours, six hours at a clip, whatever, um, but can you do more than you're doing now? You know, that's, that's for you to answer. Uh, I know that, uh, like when the last Star Wars came out, you know, I, I read about it and I actually did it uh, as well for my son. You know, 
some people had these Star Wars marathons where they looked at, watched all the episodes, you know, back to back. We didn't do it back to back, but, you know, spent the time doing that, right? I remember having friends who would, there were series of shows that I'd never seen before. I remember one, I think one's called Lost. I'd never seen Lost, but someone, hey, we're going to have a Lost marathon at our house tonight, you know, and they got a box set of DVDs, and they spend hours on end watching these series, you know? And uh, some of you are laughing. I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's bad. The point is I'm saying we do put time into certain things like that. And I want you to consider, though, that what happens at the end of those things, what typically happens at the end, because I've never done that aggressive of a thing before, but I've watched, there's been shows in my past that I watch, and I watch it every Thursday at 8 or whatever it is. And at the end of those series, whether it's the, the, the weekly series or the box DVD set, at the end of those things... I don't know about you, I always just feel kind of let down, like, that's it, or like, I want more, or, man, that's, you know, okay, it's not going away, they're coming back next season, but I got to wait through the summer for the next season, you know, or if that's it, if that's it for the series, that's a real letdown, like, man, well, let me wait for the spinoff, there's going to be a spinoff series, you know, some character in there, you, you know what I'm talking about, um, but not with the Word of God, you know, not, it's not like that way with the Word of God, if you, have a, if you do a, a marathon with the Word of God, it's not that way. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that the Word of God is, is sharp, it's alive, it's active, it's working, working to divide, to judge, and to search. And that's the picture of active learning, which is part of this intellectual piece. It's part of that intellectual piece because, you know, beyond the amount of the time that's being talked about here in Nehemiah, that they're in the Word of God, um, the, the number of hours and the number of days the greater emphasis, if you, if you read over this again, one of the few verses I just read, it's not so much the quantity. I mean, that, that's impressive. That's what jumps out. Man, half of the day. Man, two six-hour periods. Whoa. It's, it says multiple times there, talks about that they made sure everyone understood that there was reading with understanding. Some of your translations say interpretation, but I do believe it's, we're not talking here about they didn't know Hebrew, so they're putting it in Aramaic, and there's all kinds of you want to talk to me about that, I can tell you all the exciting uh, the, uh, theological and historical discussions that go on about the just Aramaic targums and blah, blah, blah. But it's the fact that, that explanation is, is being um, talked about there. And there's several words that are being used to, to say that, you know, there was wisdom, there was understanding. There's this word for wisdom, the same word we see in Proverbs. There's this other word that you might have heard called sechel which is really, you know, real knowledgeable knowledge to do things. And th- that's the kind of understanding that, that, that the passage here talks about. And hearing, just hearing, y'all hear me? Yeah, that's a passive activity. Just hearing is passive. We all hear stuff. You know, Michael's told me about this before, actually, that with him, he can't really turn off. And sometimes it's a bit, you know, it's uh, an assault to his, his hearing sense, actually, because it's very tuned. And he can hear everything, so be careful. He can hear everything. Um, but the point is, is that it, it never turns off. It's just, it's always going in. It's a, it's a very passive, in a lot of ways, activity. Um, can you be present somewhere, yet focused on something else? <laughs> I hope you're not right now. But uh, my... Uh, my neighbor, I, was, I remember asking my neighbor, I had a new neighbor last year, and I, I was talking about what he did, and, and um, he's, he, I think he works in purchasing. He said, yeah, I work in purchasing. I said, what do you do all day? He said, well, I pretty much just kind of strategize about my garden and, uh, and beekeeping, you know. That's kind of what he said he does all day. And so it's possible to be listening. It's possible to be present, even at your job all day, but really you're just going through the motions, you know. And what's being talked about here in Nehemiah is a very active process. It's this idea of understanding, 
Understanding the Word of God, that completes the loop of, of just hearing. Hearing without understanding when it comes to information um, is, is worthless, is useless. Uh, when I talked to my kids, I was telling them the other day about needing to apply themselves. And I got the deer in the headlight look. And I said, oh, do you know what apply means? No, okay. So I explained it to them. You know, we, we stop and we take time to explain. Otherwise, okay, I'll apply myself. And, you know, I don't know what that means. So understanding is necessary. And it's not just the responsibility of the communicator. It's the responsibility of the listener as well. There's a piece that we're responsible for as listeners to understand, and especially as adults. We can ask questions and that kind of thing. Uh, during sermons, you know, in, in, you may not be aware of it, but in, in, in sort of more religious Jewish circles, writing on the Shabbat is considered work. So you, know, you wouldn't want to write if you're a visitor at a, at a synagogue, you, you know, depending on their position. Uh, I can tell you that our position here, I don't mind if you write. We don't mind if you write. I don't consider that... Uh, work in the sense of ceasing your work on the Shabbat. So take notes if you want. Not because what I'm saying is wonderful, or what Rabbi Chaim says is wonderful. I think what Joanne Tischler says often is wonderful. Uh, but the point is, take notes to engage yourself, to be an active, proactive listener. Um, keeps you engaged. Because Bible study, Bible study and listening is not just for the, the learned people or the ones that have studied, you know, have the master's degrees and so forth. Um, you can do the same thing. When you, read your, when you read your Bible, um, observe what's going on. There's a thing called inductive Bible study. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, that, 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 uh, that verse I was reading earlier about the Word of God being active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, was the first passage that I ever w- was instructed to do an inductive Bible study on. And uh, that's the idea that you read it and you say, what's going on in the passage? Don't tell me what it says. Don't interpret it. Just observe. Observe what's happening in the passage. This is all part of understanding and actively engaging with the Word of God. What is it saying? Don't tell me, you know, well, Paul is saying here, wait, it doesn't say Paul wrote this. Just tell me what it says in the, in the verse here, you know. Observe what it says, okay? And so you write down these observations, and you ask questions of the text. You ask, you know, what, what I've just heard or what I've read, what's going on? Where is this taking place? When is it taking place? How is it taking place? Who's there? You list the character, whoever's in the story. These are all parts of actively seeking to turn intellectual, you know, listening into understanding and knowledge. And then you go back to the text and see if the text can answer some of those questions for you. The very last step of of Bible reading is the one that we all go to first, which is interpretation. And so resist that, that urge to Google the verse, or Google what this means, or, or if you have a study Bible, to, to look at what it means. Resist that temptation uh, right off the bat, because you might be surprised that some of your observations and some of the things you write down, it might actually be something that you read when you do finally go look at someone else's thoughts, because I believe those thoughts are out there for us, you know, commentaries, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, but you might actually be surprised that you, you've keyed on something that someone else did as well. And don't be, don't be uh, worried if, if what you came up with, is, you don't find it anywhere. That's absolutely fine. Uh, one of my professors in seminary told me that one time. He said, look, don't be afraid to make your conclusion different than one of the three prime positions or whatever it is. Don't, don't be afraid to say that. But that's the last piece of, of, of Bible study, really, is the interpretation part. You'd be surprised how much you can pull out if you uh, resist the, the temptation to do that right off of the bat. Um, so the intellectual piece, again, involves making the Word of God central to you or to us, realizing that it's for everyone, that everyone can and, in fact, understand it, believe it or not. Sometimes you think you can't, but you can. The word, God doesn't make His Word so confusing that we can't understand the big message of the Word. There are things, of course, that maybe, you know, you might not understand, but in general, you can understand it. 
But the next step after the intellectual engagement with God's Word is the next thing. We talked about intellectual. The next one is emotional. The emotional impact that the Word of God has. Verses 9 through 12 that that, uh, Linda read today said that the people were mourning and crying over what they were understanding. Not just what they were hearing, what they were understanding. They heard it, they internalized it, they had understanding, and then they were impacted by it. And I want to tell you, this is not something that you can manufacture. This, that's why this, I think this is why the process happens the way it does. It was the, it was the second step. You can't just manufacture them. I you can try. You ever been around someone that seems to cry like that? I've had that kind of thing before, and I've noticed maybe no tears in their eyes, or maybe they're really good and there are tears in their eyes. But, you know, the point is it's, it's an after-the-fact kind of thing, and it's nothing that you can just materialize or manufacture. Um, it comes after... This is not emotional manipulation, but it's a genuine reaction uh, that comes as a result of what I would call uh, a moment of enlightenment or an aha moment. And those moments can come and go, so you need to kind of be engaged with the Word on a regular basis, but hopefully you're going to read um, to to get to that point of of an aha moment. And know that the Word of God is meant to inform and to uh, instruct and to then impact. And, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not saying that we all have to be in tears constantly to, to learn, and that's not my, my point there. Um, but don't worry that if you, if, if you read the Word and, and after a verse you get stopped in your tracks, that's your aha moment, because the Word impacts people differently, impacts all of us differently, but ultimately it's the Word that does it. It's not us. It's not something that you can, that you can manufacture. And that's why, you know, if you listen to when, when Dana and Judy were, were talking in the outreach meeting and we're all worried about what are we going to say to these people at the fair and all this kind of stuff. No, you, you, we listen, we say ask questions, and don't be afraid to just then share after you're asking questions because it's not the knowledge and the information alone that changes people. The information is meant to penetrate, and that's something that God does. Uh, the text here in Nehemiah also goes on to say, that part of what Linda read here is that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the knowledge of the Lord necessarily, but the joy of the Lord. Okay, that's an, that's an emotional, emotional piece. The do's and the don'ts, those are often things that in God's Word that get the most uh, attention and the most press. Uh, but even those things are not meant to necessarily just instruct us what to do and not do. They are meant to enrich our lives when you really look into them. So we need to ask God for that transformation experience that we read about here and elsewhere in Scripture. Okay, because again, we don't have to be bawling our eyes out to say that we learned something. Um, some cultures are like that, and that's fine. We shouldn't be f- sort of freaked out by that. But we need to realize that that emotions are uh, are personal. Emotions are way is a way in which God speaks to us. That's really how we should view that. Just like we talked about on Wednesdays, the idea of time and how God speaks to us in time when He Himself is outside of time. He uses that because. That's our language, and he can, he can communicate with us that way, the same way that, emotion, that emotions are. Emotions are, are, are uh, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I would say emotions are your friend in a sense that, think about that, you know, God's speaking to me this way in, in, my, in my emotions. That's the thing that, that drives us. That's the thing that drives us. Um, because, you know, if we did only the things that we knew were good on an intellectual level, like I know it's good to do X, Y, and Z, if these are the only things we did ever, the things that we knew were good because logic dictated it, I think we wouldn't do anything, <laughs> quite honestly. I think that speaks a lot against the, uh, you know, the, the atheistic view that everything just kind of happened in, in, in evolution and all that, because the truth is when we look at evolution, uh, some things you know, don't make sense. Survival of the fittest it does not make sense. You know? um, 
I wouldn't help that little old lady across the street. Why? Because, you know, I'll get her stuff when she dies, and why am I going to help her? You know, the point is, that's not how things work. We don't do things based on logic, necessarily. It's, we're, we're spurred on by, by emotion. So that's why the human race does survive, and that's why I think, in that sense, you know, evolution sort of fails on that, on that sense. Um, but that's, that's the picture of what we read today, that, that intellectual engagement with God's word led the people to a true emotional, a genuine emotional outcry, a deep conviction within them. Again, you know, Hebrews uh, 4 talks about the word uh, piercing and dividing, and, and I think that, you know, that kind of you know, piercing, dividing, if I was doing that to you, I think, with a sword, uh, like, like Hebrews paints the picture there, I think there'd be some emotion out of you. I think that would cause some, some emotion, and that would possibly impact you in some way. Um, and that's the difference between knowing something and really knowing something and feeling it. So God's word is for everyone. Okay, we engage with it intellectually, emotionally, and then that leads to volitionally, action. It leads to action. After the people got done weeping, they got to work. You see that. They didn't just study this stuff and then cry like uh, maybe I did in, in my master's program, you know, uh, study that Greek and then thought, <laughs> you know, they didn't just study it and cry. Uh, they did stuff. They acted. You heard Linda read about it. They sent food to others who didn't have any. They celebrated Sukkot. They rejoiced together. They brought more people into the city to live, and they actually gave them stuff, you know, and they blessed them and everything. When you read on, you'll see that. This was part of an overall spiritual revival and renewing process, this last step of action. Um, there are times when I, I, something, you may be like this too, something breaks at my house or breaks on my car or there's some project my wife might ask me to do and I have nowhere to, to go, I have no clue how to start it or how to fix something. And so I go to YouTube and inevitably somebody's got, done the exact, you know, the exact model vacuum cleaner, they're replacing the exact thing that broke. I mean, it's amazing the, the information you can get. And so I read about it. I watch the video, and I watch three different videos on it, and I look at illustrated diagrams, and I read people talk about the pitfalls and how they did it and what they did. And uh, then I go to, you know, I go, I go to Nick's web, you know, Facebook page because he's got some project on there probably too that uh, has done something. I read all about it, and then finally there's a, a point where I say, okay, I'm motivated. I'm going to save some money, and I'm going to feel like I've accomplished something. And I go, and I do something. I physically do it. There's always a gap and a gulf between the theory, the knowledge, and the practice. There's, there's always a space there. Sometimes it might be a tremendous, you know, I've, I've watched something a lot of times. I'm like, is this or is this not above my skill level? You know, and, 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 and sometimes there's a, there's a big gap. Other times, man, we think about something, get, get motivated by it, and do it immediately. Heroic acts, whatever it might be, you know. Sometimes, but there's always, regardless of the, the, the gap, um, there's always some sort of delay. There's always a delay between the intellectual, I got it, to emotional, tell me to do it, okay? Um, and it's the same with our spiritual lives as well. There's an intellectual component, there has to be. But then we've got to be moved by emotion, and then we've got to be spurred on to action. It's a, it's a natural process. And we talk about being uh, an equipping center at Yeshua Tzion. We talk about wanting to be an equipping center, although I, I believe we already are an equipping center, but we talk about you know, having our own building, seeing a, more of a permanent location, being something that will enable us to further that vision, to be even a greater, a bigger equipping center. And equipping has to do with many things. And I want to just to, to, to go over those things. You know, equipping, equipping us with the Word of God is a, definitely a part of it so that we can lead God-centered, Yeshua-centered lives. That's part of equipping. Um, encouraging others to grow, 
uh, in, a, in, a, in a spiritual maturity by serving. It's an opportunity to serve when we have an equipping center and we can, can do things there. Um, equipping ourselves with tools and knowledge to reach out to others who don't yet know Yeshua. Uh, specifically for us, that would be people in the greater Denver area, Jewish people that are unaffiliated, unaffiliated uh, Jewish people. If you want to know what that is, I can, can share what that, kind of what that means with you. And equipping the larger body of believers to understand the, 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 the Hebrew, Jewish roots of their faith, and also equipping them to reach out to, to they, they have Jewish friends and family and, and so forth. So that's all part of, uh, of what an equipping center is. That's all part of the action, the volition that the Word of God uh, should lead us to. And that's why we take the time to meet. That's why we're taking the time to meet here on, on a beautiful Saturday. Uh, taking time to worship, to pray, to study, to have these men's and women's things that you've heard talked about, children's uh, groups, kids' groups, and all the other things that, that we believe that, that God has for us as we move forward. And it's a process. Again, it's a process that involves an intellectual component, an emotional component, and then an action, a volitional component, right? It's all part of that process. And again, God doesn't compartmentalize any of those pieces. You know, he works with them. He works with us in each one of those areas. Again, whether it's the building of the building, as you see, uh, building of the wall, how God did the work himself, he was part of that. Um, he works with us in all of those parts. So just as the people in, in Jerusalem in, in Nehemiah's time were invigorated by way of building their new wall, feeling secure, that physical security in their new surroundings or their, their new protected surroundings, and just like they were, they were reading, and they were understanding, and then they were doing, um, let's also likewise pray for the same, that same process as we move forward, as we move forward as a, as a committed body of believers that has the Word of God central to us as well. Okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you. We thank you again for your Word, and we thank you for showing us just in this one small story right here, this, this, this story of, of, of uh, the rebuilding of the walls and the spiritual renewal in Nehemiah, we thank you for showing us how these returned exiles, no matter how far backwards it had seemed they, they had come, um, and no matter how far backwards we might think that we're going, or whether, whether we feel stagnant or whatever it is, help us to know, Lord, that renewal uh, is right around the corner. And it can happen fast, like it happened here. We thank you, Lord, for showing us that no matter what obstacles are in front of us, whether they be uh, the fact that protective and nurturing walls might have broken down around us, whether it be, you know, that's the cause of us kind of wallowing in our mediocrity for years and years, just kind of dealing with things the way they are, Lord, settling for, Lord. We pray that no matter the current conditions, that you would just encourage us, Lord, in the fact that knowing that you're able to empower that you're able to restore, and that you're able to renew all things, Lord, both physically and spiritually. And ask today, Lord, that you would strengthen us as a community as we move forward in our pursuit of you and in our pursuit of, of building and strengthening the ministry that you have created here, the ministry of Yeshua Sion. And I ask, Lord, that you help us to become that equipping center that you want us to be, Lord, that it only be your plan, your design, and that people, when they look, would know, just like the people uh, looked in the book of Nehemiah here and they saw what had been done, that they knew, oh, God has done this. And Lord, we just pray that, that we would be that beacon and light in this community that would impact those who don't yet know you, Lord, both Jewish and Gentile. 
So these things we, we thank you for, Lord, and we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.